Hello and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host Tom Masters and our guest today is Joe Klimzuski. He holds doctorate degrees in nutrition and health education and pioneered macronutrient-based food intake tracking more than 25 years ago. He's helped build the personal nutritional coaching industry, and his company, The Diet Doc LLC, helps thousands of struggling dieters reach sustainable life change. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate Joe, you thanks for being on the show. Um, Joe is somebody I met about six months ago. I've not met him in person yet. Of course, Zoom is the way we meet people these days. And um, I'm a pretty busy guy, and next to Joe, I feel like I'm standing still. <laughs> so he's a busy guy, um, but he formed a company about the diet doc, and he's done it for 25 years. He covered a path for an entire personal nutrition coaching industry, and he's continued to innovate, doing client-centered systems. Now, this is what I didn't know, Joe. He's earned degrees in physical therapy, health, nutrition, health education, literary journalism, social psychology, and social science, including two doctorates and four master's degrees. See, I told you, I feel like I'm standing still. I, I, I don't know, maybe just some undiagnosed ADHD there. Maybe. Uh, anyway, I've enjoyed working with Joe, and he and I are working on integrating his process with the doc journey concepts. And as we know, um, there's never one answer for complex problems like chronic disease. And so we're excited to add in his expertise. I just have to ask you a question. What are your two doctorates in? Uh, the first one is in nutrition, the second in health education. Okay. Where, where did you earn those? The same place or? No. So the first, so I, I, out of high school, joined the military. And so I was in several different colleges, uh, wherever I was stationed. And then Ended up when I was finished back in Indiana, went to Indiana University at one of their extension schools in northern Indiana, ended up down at the IU Med Center, and that's where I did a pre-med allied health physical therapy run. Uh, And once I was working as a full-time physical therapist, that's when I was heading back to the Med Center, you know, back and forth doing this, this doctorate in nutrition. And then uh, I just worked for about 10 years and then decided in my mid to late 30s, as I started publishing and writing for fitness magazines and wanting to do some deeper book work, uh, it, it just seemed the right thing to do to have uh, kind of a, a terminal doctorate in education. Uh, it was about the time where a lot of physicians were getting MPHs. So to do a, a doctorate in health education seemed like it may be a, a good feather in the cap for that pursuit, and it was. Uh, and then it was you know another 10 or 15 years uh, before I got into my run of, of the social sciences, which I think goes back to your initial statement that there are never simple solutions. There are only complexities and nuances. And so the deeper I got into my career doing personal nutrition coaching and training coaches to do the same, obviously behavioral work and the behavioral sciences, social sciences uh, were not only intriguing to me, I, I thought they were pretty necessary for what we were going to continue doing as a company. So I'm excited about what you're doing. I honestly didn't realize what a background you had in these other areas because I knew you were into exercise. I did not realize you worked as a physical therapist for 10 years. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So is just you gave us a little bit of an overview. Could you give us a bit more of your story about how you became so because you're focusing on mostly nutrition and a little bit less so on exercise? How did you get into this process? And then I guess what I'm really asking is you have a very unique approach. If you could encapsulate what that approach is, that would be helpful. Okay. Well, I think everybody's origin story in some way begins in childhood, you know, how we're formed. And I grew up in a family that did not value health or exercise or nutrition in any sort. I grew up pretty poor. Everybody was overweight, smoked, nobody exercised. So I I was, I just found myself as a chubby, overweight little kid. Um, and yet at one point I transferred schools and kind of got swept up into this group of friends who were all athletes. So pretty soon they were inviting me, hey, you should come out for the basketball team and the football team and the baseball team. And I really loved it. It was a whole new world to me. So I stayed with that all the way through high school, was a pretty good athlete. And then once I was off into the military and college and left that behind, what remained was weightlifting. And I started actually majoring. I was in my senior year majoring in business management and marketing and I just, for some reason in my early 20s, thought this just seems like a God awful thing to do as a profession, just business. I, I just envisioned myself living in this cubicle world. So I looked around for anything I could do in, in some realm of physicality. And back then, late 80s, um, exercise science really wasn't a thing yet, but some, somebody mentioned physical therapy. So I, I got a part-time job in the hospital as a, as a PT aide, fell in love with that and ended up in orthopedics, started out in more of a hospital general setting. But at that point, I was also, David, still lifting weights and was probably past 10 or 15 years of doing that. And, and I kind of liked the subculture of that. What got me involved by the time I was 11 or 12 years old is I was reading bodybuilding magazines, kind of looking into the soap opera of that world, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferrigno, those guys. And I just phenotypically, I was pretty good at it. And so I started competing, became a pro bodybuilder, placed in the top five, won won an amateur world championship in my weight class, ended up top five as a pro in some, some big contests. And so that's what kind of trained my eyes toward nutrition just very selfishly a fun hobby and pursuit, never, ever, excuse me, intended on doing anything professionally with it. So as I was chugging along in my orthopedic physical therapy career, now competing as a pro, I was solicited to write for some of the top national fitness magazines. And this was pre-social media. So the only way you gained any type of notoriety was through those magazines and I, and I just kind of got pulled into that upper echelon of a blend of my professional bodybuilding career aesthetically, personally, and my academic uh, chops, so to speak, as a writer. So I decided to, at one point, make this huge entrepreneurial shift toward nutrition coaching. Okay. So I'm curious, on the bodybuilding phase... Are you still weightlifting? You're looking pretty good. You look like you're in pretty good shape. I do. It's it's a little bit different now in my mid fifties. I you know I'm no longer squatting or deadlifting 500 pounds, nor probably should I have been at that time, but but I uh-huh. was. So, um, so when did you stop the competition, the professional competitions in bodybuilding? 
It was in my late 30s. Okay. So, um, and then part of that obviously is a full body process of nutrition is obviously part of it. Your mental side is part of it. The actual training is part of it. There's a whole science of training. So I'm assuming all that started coming together. Oh, for sure. And I would even say by my mid twenties, I was like an investigative journalist wondering, just very curious how people looked a certain way, what they did, how do you train, how do you eat? And that's really what catapulted me into the first nutritional foray academically. So I'm just going to um, diverge here just for a second, uh, because I think it's really critical about um, the whole process. So do you mind if I rant just for a second? You already know my yeah. rant is pretty well. Absolutely. So, you know, in medicine, you probably already know this, that we are taught nothing about nutrition. I mean, I don't think we, we might have one nutrition class our first year and that's it. And then in the surgical culture, sort of a disaster because to us eating is flat out a waste of time because every minute you spend eating, you end up, you know, going home later. We're spending working 80, 90 hours a week. And so we're sort of bad that way. And we're just bad. I mean, to me, like a whole bag of Oreos was nothing. And now mm-hmm. we cringe. And I was eating so badly that about 10 years ago, I had some liver function tests done and they were elevated quite high. And I don't drink. So I did read this book. Do you know Dr. Rob Lustig who wrote the book Fat Chance? Mm-hmm. I know the and, book. Yeah, it's really a remarkable book. And he just goes into the, the biochemistry of food. And his point was being that it isn't alcohol that fries the liver and causes cirrhosis, it's the sugar. And so I go, huh. So I quit eating whole bags of Oreos in one sitting. And so I my liver function, sure enough, within a year went down to normal. And so just cutting back sugar was a major life change. So the thing about medicine in general, we're taught nothing about nutrition. The other thing we're not taught about is medicine is disconnected from the physiology of the body. So we treat only symptoms. And you know, this thing called dynamic healing is a term we use for you have your stresses in life or circumstances, or the scientific term is allostatic load. Then you have the state of your nervous system that processes all this input that at the end of the day, end up in a physiological state, which is how the body functions. So you're either in safety or fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, your body's inflamed, it's on fire, et cetera. So when your stress is overwhelming your coping skills, you go into stress physiology. Well, and then um, this is where I'm going to ask you a question here. So my concept is there's ways of processing stresses, et cetera. But where the diet, exercise, sleep comes in is the resilience of the nervous system. And where you and I come together really nicely is that we don't look at diet alone as a solution. It's a significant part of the solution because what it does, it lowers the reactivity of the nervous system. Then I'm going to say something very rookie here. And then this is where I'm going to ask you to fill in a little bit is that I didn't, I never realized that there's two parts of diet. I always thought it was weight loss, but there's a weight loss component. And then there's the inflammatory component. And you may, even though you have a hard time losing weight, you can still lower your inflammation dramatically without losing weight. So where our processes overlap is on the nervous system part of it, we're increasing the resilience of the nervous system. So it takes more stress to put you into fight or flight. And so sleep, diet, exercise are pretty big deals. And that's where you enter in the play, enter into the fray right dead center there. Yeah, there is so much we could talk about in that. But 
the what I look, view as kind of the sphere of proper health, certainly nutrition is part of it. I wouldn't even say it's the center or the bullseye. It's just one big player. Right. Movement and exercise is probably even more important because of glucose disposal, how you uh, handle lipids in your diet, like all of that is incredibly important. As you're mentioning, certain types of foods can increase inflammation. But when you get into exercise alone, even, even something like cortisol, which is typically seen as a bad thing, <clears throat> increasing stress, well, when you in proper doses with the proper stimuli, you're increasing your body's resilience on how to manage cortisol. And cortisol is then the driver of anti-inflammatory processes and, and even things like anabolism to make sure that your body's stronger, more resilient, even down to synovial fluid being produced in your joints. So th there's so much to constant exercise and movement intentionally, so much so that we know empirically through research that you can be overweight, moderately, maybe even significantly overweight. And as long as you exercise regularly, you are healthier than a thinner person who doesn't exercise. Okay. So, That's so, so, so consistent movements, turning over those nutrients in your body, everything from your muscular and skeletal system to your organs, all of that is incredibly important. Then you throw in some improving dietary habits and reducing sugar, reducing saturated and trans fats, and you're well on your way. You're you're halfway there without even reaching some particular chronological marker. Just the fact that you do that. I'll, I'll give you one example. Had a client one time who came in. Here, here, here's my blood report. Here's where I'm at. My doctor wants me to see you. His triglycerides were 900. 900. Nine. What's high normal? Uh, like 120. <laughs> um, okay, that's high. So in 30 days of just eating well, making those habitual changes one at a time, exercising almost every day, they were down to 90. Wow. And so that's just how acutely you can make change and improvement. So think about what that does year after year, decade after decade of somebody who just stays in motion. So we, as you know, I run a scientific study group twice a month, and one of our speakers was brilliant on exercise and he first pointed out that if you're completely sedentary that the relative gain from exercising even 10 minutes a day is quite profound then the magic number he pointed out was about 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise and just that number adds four years to your life but what it also does it prevents that slow decline so when you're done you're done and you pass on but you're not doing that slow decline type thing so I guess I didn't real. So I'm going to rant again for a second. So I just read a book again this morning, but this seems to be over and over and over again that people get really fixated on diet alone as the answer to everything, and it just isn't. Can you? Can you? Let me say one more thing about that. There's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. He's a Nobel Prize winner. He, um, he's actually a um, psychologist. He won his Nobel Prize in economics. But it's a brilliant book. And so one of the points you point out about diet is that the stress around rigid diets is actually counterproductive to the diet itself. Do you remember that statement in that book? 
I read the book and uh, yes, because that's, so my world as the creator of the concept flexible dieting or macronutrient tracking right. which is now the most normalized, most popular way of dieting in the world. Uh, it's ironic that in my attempt to add flexibility, which at its core still does, many people have reinterpreted as just moving rigidity from a meal plan centric method to a numerical model, which is okay, I'm not going to just eat this simple meal plan a dietitian gave me, I'm going to track grams of protein, carbs and fat. So if you're an engineer or an analyst or an accountant, you love that you love the numbers you're track, you've got spreadsheets tracking your spreadsheets, the average person still needs some type of structure heuristically knowing that those numbers are there to guide you, but to assume that one unit of measurement like a day is where you should be perfect. Oh, today was perfect. Or, oh, I messed up. This was an awful day. No, you should be looking at your, your progress. You know, what, what, were, what were your daily average calories for the week, for the month? What was your weight loss for the month? We, we should get out of the habit of looking at every single meal or every single day as a win or a loss. There has to be a guiding level of structure, but the overall MO still has to be flexibility. So it's structure and flexibility combined. So I just will go back to the rigidity part of it. So I that statement struck me years ago. I read the book maybe 10 years ago, and I could not understand what he was saying. Then I started watching my patients very carefully. And you know, there's a lot of people, I'll use the word eating disorders. And it's about rigidity. And so when you, quote, fail your diet, you get very self-critical. But we know that cognitive, cognitive input in the form of negative self-talk actually is inflammatory. So maybe you lose some weight or maybe you go to an anti-inflammatory diet, but at the same time, you're so hyped up about your calories, et cetera, et cetera, and rigidity, um, you, you really do counteract the whole process of the benefits of a diet. So, I mean, one of the things we want to do in life is sort of enjoy ourselves. And one of the ways to enjoy ourselves is good food. So if every meal becomes a, so, so my observation has been for people in that mindset, every meal is sort of a trial in a way. I mm -hmm. mean, enjoying your food is pretty critical in enjoying your life. I, I completely agree. And, and that's why, like we've been talking about movement slash exercise as well as nutrition, but you also mentioned things like sleep and how you take care of your mental health, all critically, critically important. And I've gone through those phases of my life, trying to sort through those things personally, and then helping clients do the same. But, you know, just to give you an example of, of how flexibility should work in nutrition, at, at, at the end of the day, nutrition is an objective science, even though we can't see it under the hood or under the skin. You don't get a printout at the end of every day saying, this is exactly how many calories you burned. This is exactly what your protein intake should have been. This is what it was. You have to you know, make some educated guesses at that. And then you, you're doing some retroactive forensic to see, okay, if I'm, if I'm losing a pound a week or two pounds a week, and this is what I'm consuming, then things are on track. Uh, you can even do more sophisticated analytics like elect, you know, bioelectrical impedance, DEXA scans, et cetera, for body composition. But, but what, what a proper nutrition plan should be, in my opinion, is here's calorically what we need. 
because energy balance is step one, calories in, calories out. And then, you know, well, how much and why do I need a certain amount of protein? That That's pretty conclusive research at this point. Within fats and carbohydrates, qualitatively and quantitatively, again, super empirical research, especially by the director of nutrition at the NIH, Dr. Kevin Hall, who will only publish metabolic ward inpatient studies because we know self-reported research in nutrition is at minimum 30% inaccurate. So imagine doing a study where you realize, okay, 30% of the data we get is going to be false, but we're gonna, we're gonna come to a conclusion anyway. So what he has shown and other people have reproduced is that a ketogenic, low-carb or no-carb restrictive diet is one of the worst things you can do. Highest rate of recidivism and um, relapse and eating disorders. You decrease bone mass and lean body mass. You suppress your metabolism. You regain weight at the fastest level. But add some carbs back in. You don't want to eliminate carbs. You don't want it to be a super low-fat diet either because we need enough fat. We need essential fatty acids and so forth. But now you're managing your carbs to the appropriate level. You're managing your fat to the appropriate level. You're thinking in terms of qualitative as well as quantitative. And you put all that together, you now have a guideline for out of the calorie intake I should be consuming, protein, carbs, and fat should be somewhere within these ranges. We certainly have room for preference, food preference, social preference, occupation, schedule, and then you give it a shot. You see how well you do. You start fine tuning and making changes based on the results, and you can gradually get to a place again, with a good amount of flexibility. Do I have to have the same foods in the same amount at the same time every day? Absolutely not. Your, your body doesn't even biologically work that way. Do you need some complicated plan like intermittent fasting or paleo or carnivore or this or that? No, you just need to find a way that it works for you, knowing that you're within those parameters of better and improving health and your rate of recidivism and your long-term success will be substantially improved. No, you see, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there with what you just said there. So what I'd like to do is finish up this podcast with just a couple summary statements. And then the second podcast will go into actually what you do to achieve what you just accomplished. So if I hear you correctly, and I'll just say a couple Again, you can correct me because I'm not a nutrition expert. Serge is probably the least nutrition experts that I know. Um, but so the bottom line is, is that, you know, the food industry has sort of taught us that um, fat is bad and fat's, fat actually is the most efficient way of storing energy. It's nine, nine kilograms, kilocalories per gram. And so healthy fat's actually just fine, um, correct? Yeah, I mean, fat is still fat. There is a a quantitative uh, portion to that, but right. you're right. It is not the same as trans fats or saturated fats. A, a good high quality fat is very important for your nervous system, your, your body structure, et cetera. And then carbohydrates are, are now considered to be bad, but again, good carbohydrates are actually part of your food supply. I mean, you only have three, three sources of, of calories. One is proteins, carbs, and fats. And so you can get negative in proteins, carbohydrates, and fats, but you have to eat something. 
So I like your concept. You just figure out what the good part of each one of them is and adjust it to your needs and you have something that's sustainable. So Joe, I'd like to do, um, how do we access your, well, let me just tell you what we're doing really quickly. So, well, actually tell me, what, how do we access your services? TheDietDoc.com is our site. So that's kind of the most central place. Uh, social media at Joe Klimzeski is where you can find me. But if you go to thedietdoc.com, that's probably the easiest way to find all of our resources in one place. Especially since we can't really spell your name very well. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the dietdoc.com um, is the way to do it. And I've, I've been spending some time on his website. And there's lots of services there, lots of things to look at. And then we'll talk about your product, your processes in detail in the second podcast, but you are mostly a coaching model. Am I correct? Yes, we have a, a lot of clients that we serve, uh, but we started licensing coaches and certifying coaches about 20 years ago because we can't do it all in-house. And so we do have coaches in our networks all around the world. Uh, but most of my time is spent coaching and supporting coaches, uh, but also definitely working directly with clients. So if you, in a so if you want to find a diet doc trained coach, how do you do that? Uh, you know, definitely come through my site or me directly because okay. whether it's geographically or, or specialty service need, we definitely want to match people up to the right coach. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you for being on the program. Any final words to the audience here today? Some tidbit that I can take to help lose weight? I'm just happy to be working with you, somebody else who considers a, a very comprehensive, holistic, personal approach necessary. So uh, looking forward in some continued work together. Great. Well, thank you very much. I'd like to thank our guest, Joe Klumseski, for being on the show today and for sharing the influences that shaped his approach to health and dieting and explaining the importance of flexibility in dieting. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.